DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Steve, you know, basketball insider is something we throw around on the air. It's something you're supposed to say when you're in radio. <laughs> but then you started dropping MJ and Fresno stories, and I'm like, this dude is an insider at the highest level. This is awesome. Now, Yak has told me you have more MJ stories. This is like Christmas morning. I'm loving this. Oh, you know what? I do have a few more. You know, I spent four years. He spent four years here, four summers and a, for a week, and... Uh, they were all pretty amazing, and uh, I was I was talking to my sons, uh, who were like eleven and seven at the time, and uh, I just I asked them what some of their memories were, you know, and and uh, we st- we just started laughing about some of the things that happened. They they had the the cool privilege to kind of go with him in a limo a couple of times to uh, different situations and circumstances, and. And Mike was always really kind to him, and so there, there's a pretty special place in our heart for Michael. And uh, I, I, I do remember. I'll, I'll give you one just for a starter off, and then we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But uh, I remember that after he had uh, been here for a year, we 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 talked last time about a game where we had down at the arena downtown. But there was an experience. I think it was about '86 where. Uh, the idea was people kept coming in at night and watching the pickup games. And, and, and my two partners in this thing were two guys who had just finished out of college, had no money. And I go, Hey man, we can't be letting these people come in for free. <laughs> I said, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> and he goes, we go over there and start charging five bucks a head. And, and he said, get somebody at the door, you know, and I said, Hey, we can't do that right now. I said, let's wait. We maybe we'll do a game. And, and then they started thinking, yeah, that would be good. We could do a game. And, but it really literally at night, there'd be a two or 300 people. People just walking off the streets, and like I said, you got Timmy Hardaway, Mitch Richmond, Chris Mullen, Michael Jordan, Rod Higgins. You know, they're just playing pickup games. And so we decided, okay, let's let's do a game. So on the last day of camp on that Friday, we decided let's do a camp. And Michael said, hey, I'm I'm cool with it, you know. And so uh, we had no idea how many people would come. One the pre-sale deal, but it was basically like five bucks a head, you know. Mind you, this is back in the 80s. We weren't that serious about making money. And so uh, we ended up, uh, the thing, the place started picking up. And, and for people that don't know much about Central California in July, you know, it's 103, 104. And it stays in the high 90s and low 100s up until maybe 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night sometimes. The place ended up being packed. We, we've, in fact, we didn't have any real security, but we better, so we, but we better get some security. And we had one, a, a cop that we knew. We came over there just to kind of make sure things were okay. But this place is packed, and we got, you know, we were, we knew we were going to have a turnout. We didn't know it was going to be standing room only, and uh, and so we had those pros and we had college guys. A lot of the Fresno State players who've been to the Sweet 16, guys that are left, and we start. They, the game got started. And uh, it, it was electric. I mean, it was so hot in there. We had to we brought fans in there. It didn't matter. Everybody was ringing wet. And I, my, I can still visualize Michael like, dropping dimes, just shooting the ball from all over. It's a high school course. There's no NBA three. And, and him back, literally backpedaling and high-fiving kids and parents and then grabbing things of water. We had all sorts of water on the table, grabbing water, just throwing it in his face. 
getting back on defense. And I thought to myself, this is this is the game at the purest level here. You know, here we have a guy who has already dropped 65 on the Celtics, and he, people know he's going to be the best player, in, you know, in the world. And he here he is in this game, just having the time of his life. Uh, teasing the kids, talking to the players, talking smack on the floor to the college kids. But that was the first time before we went to an arena where we did that. And, and I can still remember this. So it was, it was incredible. And uh, so with about a minute to go, Michael calls a timeout, which I thought was kind of surprising. And uh, he says, uh, Coach, he said, I need your keys. <laughs> I said, you need my keys? For what? He said, I need, I need the car. I said, Timmy and I got to get out of here. We got a lot of clothes. Can we just go by your house, drop our clothes off, and then we'll come. We'll circle back. You know, we'll get something to eat and, and circle back and meet you in about an hour after the game. I said, all right. So I took the key out of my pocket, gave him my car, you know, and uh, he took off. And when the game was over, there was a lot of disappointed people because I think they thought he was just going to stand around there and do autographs for an hour. But uh, anyway... He got out of there, and uh, we ended up having an experience that I will never, ever forget. I mean, it, the back I can just still remember, visualize the backpedaling and the high fives and throwing cups of water in his face and, and not what you think about when you think about Michael Jordan today, but it was, it was pretty special. So this actually was before the height of his popularity because he hadn't won any titles yet. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I mean, he was humble and approachable. And, uh, I mean, he had the same swagger. He had the same smack. I mean, he was talking serious trash. And, but, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, uh, being around him in that setting, and, and uh, I mean, you knew he came from good parenting and good homes. And, I mean, he had the, the NBA side of him. But he, he was, uh, you know, he hadn't, he hadn't, and I don't know, know if he ever was. I mean, he wasn't really tainted by the world. I mean, when you watch that show last night, you're thinking, my goodness. But, you know, that, that just wasn't Michael. And, uh, and I, that's the thing for me is, is my memories of him was when he was a younger player and, uh, and, and still was everybody's favorite. He just hadn't won championships yet. And, and as it turns out, you know, in that game, in fact, before we did that game, I don't remember, I can't remember, if it, I think it was Rod Thorne who worked in the NBA office at that time. He was some commissioner over public relations. But he called and talked to Rod and Michael that day and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, no, no, let's let us send somewhere out. You know, and I, I, the only name I can really remember was George Griffin. But they were trying, he said, let us send somebody out for that game. We don't want Michael playing. I mean, we didn't have any insurance. Okay. First of all, we had no insurance for the people that came into the arena or into the uh, high school gym, and we certainly didn't have any uh, insurance for the players. And, and it came down to Michael. I mean, he just said, nah, you know, don't worry about it. We're fine. And so you can understand why the NBA had called that time. And, uh, and, and in the end, the NBA said, hey, that's enough. And, and by the time it was the end, Michael, you know, it was even more popular and, and uh, was pretty valuable. He, he was the most valuable commodity to that league with uh, where he was, you know, he was on a meteoric rise. And uh, so they couldn't afford to have the poster boy for the NBA be out in Central California getting hurt in the summer. But, yeah, we didn't have any insurance. And uh, what can I say? It, it came off, and, and uh, I, I think he had a good time, and, and we certainly were blessed to have him in, in our community for a few years. Steve Cleveland wrecks the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
I mean, you can just imagine if he broke his ankle <laughs> no, or if no. something had happened. You know, I mean, just can you imagine? No. Oh, my uh, goodness. And, uh, and I still go back to he was having a good time, and he was, he was, you know, he and Rod were such good friends. And you can imagine just getting out of, you know, obviously he could go back to North Carolina and be with his family, but, you know, he'd just stay in Chicago. He wanted to get away. And, and when he came out here in the Central Valley, he got away from everything. And we had news people. In fact, I thought about this. One of my kids told me the other day, they said, you need to call up a couple of sportscasters and see what kind of clips and stuff that they actually have archived. Because I'm sure uh, we had them out there. I don't know if they were out there for that game, but they used to come out to camp and do videos and stuff. And I probably need to check into that and uh, to see if, if we can find some old clips of things. I know that when we went to the arena that they had lots of video. I, I just uh, I hadn't thought about maybe checking it out to see what it is. So I maybe do that. I got some time on my hands right now with things. I think I make a couple phone calls. And I remember Dan Taylor, who was the sports guy here, um, he and I went to high school together, so he might be somebody that I should call and see if he's got some clips. That'd be kind of a fun thing to watch for home movies. You surprised after all these years that Jordan still has the amount of hatred and emotion negatively for Isaiah Thomas that he has? Boy, I, you really sensed that and felt that last night. And... Uh, you know what? I know I watched Isaiah try to justify it and, and what happened with the Celtics and things and the rivalry they had with them, but uh, I, I can understand it. I mean, it's kind of like I'm, I am surprised that he's still carrying it to that degree, but it's, you know, it's pretty public, and we live in a transparent world here, and uh, the idea of some of the things we saw there, uh, I mean, the violence in the games, and the intention to hurt, I mean, we heard it. And then for them to walk off the court and not shake their hands after all of that, yeah, I can see where you still have some angst and, and some anger and, and just like, you know what, I have no respect for that. And I don't know how Michael really feels, but it seemed like last night he hadn't let it go. And uh, I think I can understand it. I can understand it. I, it, it was just to watch that. I mean, I can imagine young, the, this generation of kids watching those games and going, oh, my goodness, you know, these are things you'd be put in jail for, you know. And uh, that, that kind of behavior, I, I forgot. I mean, we all forget, you know. We watch the league now and we love it. But uh, I think the players in the NBA today, uh, it's probably been a real eye-opener for them to watch this and see this who you know were young very young when, when this was happening and um and probably had no real memories of it but uh wow it was uh it was a pretty violent sport when certain teams played each other uh check out uh their twitter feed check out donovan mitchell on twitter because he was not born yet when the whole pistons bulls thing unfolded and you know from that uh, he had a tweet that a lot of people picked up on about uh, Dennis Rodman invented load management. So that has gone, that's gone viral with the whole going to Vegas story. Are you surprised, and, and I guess you shouldn't be because you're, you're throwing, you're, you're coming out with the throwing water in his face detail. Are you surprised how vividly and how much detail the Bulls 
all remember these stories in. Because when Jordan broke out the whole Dennis is going to Vegas story and they played the clip for uh, Scottie Pippen and for Dennis Rodman and for Phil Jackson, all those guys started laughing. And I thought I read in all their faces like, kind of breaking the code and pulling the curtain back there a little, aren't you, Mike? They all remember that in great detail. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you can forget that. I mean, that's, uh, that's, I was really, I was really, really, really surprised. And, 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 you know, part of me is like, wow, okay, how, how does this happen? And how do we rationalize this today, you know, in terms of that's what it was, but it is what it was. And, and, uh, and Dennis was a complicated guy and I think he still is. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not judging him, but that behavior and that circumstance is something that I would never, could never have imagined. And, uh, and, and and so public, and and what what can they do but laugh about it? Because at the end, the end story was that he's still alive today, <laughs> and they ended up having you know they ended up winning that last championship, and he he played a role in it. But um, there was kind of no moral compass there when it came to the behavior in some of those situations and circumstances. But um, yeah, I, it, it is. I, I, I'm not surprised that they didn't forget it. I mean, you do remember things, and I mean, I'm, I'm much older now, and, and there are certain things that happened two weeks ago that I can't remember, but I can remember things that happened, you know, 35 years ago in, in, in detail. And, and so uh, it's just funny how the mind works like that. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that Michael could remember and have those things, and, and, and especially when they're in a setting now where they're talking about it all the time and guys are bringing things up, and it's in a circumstance where, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I mean, just talking to my sons uh, two nights ago, it was one of those things that I thought, I hadn't even remembered that, you know, and, and just experiences that they had had. So. Yeah, I think getting together and doing this, I think it's probably been a great experience for all these former players. One of the things that I remember very vividly is Jordan's first title and Game 5 in the form, because I remember it, I was there covering it for a suburban Los Angeles newspaper, and my job, I told you last week, was should. And one of the stories that I did after that game was John Paxton and going off. And I can remember that I put in, this is just a little side load, I put in that it was some of the best shooting by a, a guard that we'd seen in that building since Jerry West and the editor thought that was blasphemous and he made me take it out. He took out, he wouldn't let me compare John Paxton's shooting to Jerry West because he was a little older than me and Jerry West was his hero and he wouldn't tolerate John. Well, go ahead. Yeah, he, he go. broke. We're he back. broke up, but you get you get the oh, gist of it there. Yeah, yeah. Jerry no, West you know is what? sacred. <laughs> yes, he, he is sacred there. And I, I'll tell you this though, I, I thought it fascinating uh, as they talked about the triangle and the evolution of that with Phil and 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 how uh, everybody kind of bought into the fact that we got to have other people contributing. And Paxson was one of those guys, and to hear his comments and thoughts. But I, you know, it's like somebody I heard. This morning when I was driving over, I was just listening to uh, Sirius NBA radio, and they said, well, when you have Michael and Scotty and, you know, you have this team, does it really matter what you run? 
and and I and I and I think you could make an argument that you know there's there was so much credence given to the triangle, and and, and certainly those guys were great minds, basketball minds. But but I think the one thing that did happen as a result of having a more of a system rather than just isolations for Michael was that guys like Paxson could really could help teams. I mean, he may not have been able to get those shots off on his own, but with that system and with superstars like they had, they had to help and put him in circumstances where they could shoot it. So that was a big part. I mean, you can say what you want about how, what you think offensively is good or not good or whatever the circumstances were. But at the end of the day, they got more guys involved, and that's that's kind of why they won six championships. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think Paxson. It was it's just fun to watch him and that, just to see those clips again because I remember I remember that game, and then my memories all of a sudden came right to me. Oh my goodness, I remember this. I remember watching this, and uh, and he was wide open. And uh, he was pretty much wide open on every shot. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, 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 that's an interesting story. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine. I, I have been with Jerry West a few times. Gary Colson, who was a coach here, and was in New Mexico. He was at Fresno. And we became good friends when he was here. And he and Jerry West were best friends. And uh, so I had an opportunity a few times to get down to Santa Barbara. And uh, where Gary ended up living, and Jerry spent a lot of time and played golf with him. And uh, I, he, that man, uh, well, I, I was on the golf course with him, and uh, he was like kind of like playing golf with Michael, you know. It, 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 there was so much trash talking and so much, this, and, and he had a huge ego. And uh, you know, he was kind of for me. It was I guess sir, you know, no sir, <laughs> and I was on my best behavior, but. Uh, uh, being around guys like Michael and Jerry West, I mean, they they just have a persona, and uh, that's unlike a lot of other people in sports and out of sports. You know, it's kind of I was amazed by listening to Jerry's conversations and take on the game, and 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 I, had, I was up close and personal because he and Jerry were good friends, and so I just casually listened in. But uh, there's another guy that's really, really, really competitive, <laughs> just like Michael. And uh, so it was kind of fun to be around him as well. So, But Jerry West was a heck of a good shooter. I got to interview him one time on a halftime show at a UCSB radio uh, on a UCSB radio broadcast. He came up to scout Brian Shaw, and it was wow! You could just drink up the basketball knowledge. He knew so much. Like one question, and his answers were just. Awesome, and he was just doing it off the cuff. He was barely yeah, paying. Yeah. I felt like he was barely paying attention, engaged with me, and yet everything was awesome. So he, you're right; he definitely exudes that. Hey, I'm curious about uh, what you thought watching Doug Collins talk about losing his job in Chicago. So when he said he could sense it coming, it wasn't addressed directly, and Jordan. Uh, According to the bite he gave us, Jordan was notified there was a change coming. Maybe there was more than that, but or though maybe Jerry Krause is just the way he ran things. Did uh, did Doug get done dirty to get stabbed in the back by an assistant coach? Was there a palace coup there, or that's just the way life goes? And there was nothing to complain about. And I'm reading too much into it. I, I think it's probably a combination of all of those things. Um, I think one number one that they could see uh, the potential in this group and in Michael and where they were going, and but they could well you know why were they losing games and Michael was going for fifty but they see they're still losing, and, and so I, I could see the thought that hey what can we do 
what systems in place? You know, what, what what direction can we go so we get we can develop our players, get more people involved? And and I thought that uh, Coach Collins was really forthright and honest. And may, maybe he didn't share his feelings. I'm sure it was really hard at the time. I mean, they just gone to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was that was something that you know Chicago hadn't had much success, but. Uh, I think sometimes you know in the business that when, when people you're surrounded by people that hey this is a special pe- this is a special guy special you know and, and I think eventually he probably has, over the years has come to believe you know it was probably it was the right decision um, but I, I know that it must have been difficult for him and and it does seem cutthroat when you consider what they did and it had to be hard for Michael. Uh, and I, I, you know, we, we didn't. I didn't pick up on other than what I just heard. But there's always behind the scenes feelings and hurt and feel like you've been betrayed. Uh, when I, you know, and, and he and Michael had a great relationship. And the isolations, and he he did. He put Michael in a position where he. Uh, he, he increased the pace of Michael, you know, jettisoning up to being the best player in the league. I mean, you have to give Coach Collins credit for what, what he did with that talent and using it and putting himself in a position where he can start winning games. So he should be given a lot of credit for where he got him to, but but, but certainly, uh, um, you know, putting in the triangle and developing other players, you know, history kind of shows that that was probably the best thing they could have done, and it worked out. But I, I gotta believe it had to be really hard at the time, uh, and he and, and probably Michael as well. So BYU gets a seven foot three transfer out of Purdue, a graduate transfer. What do you think Mark Pope is going to be able to do with him? You know, I've been thinking about that, and uh, you know, you start looking at their roster, <clears throat> and you know, they're a little thin guard-wise. I mean, you got Barcello and Harding, who I, I think Harding's going to be really special. I, I think you put him now in a situation. So, you know, you got those two guys, and you got these guys sitting out like Wyatt Lowe's, you know, 6'10". He's a kind of a 3 through 5. You got Gavin Baxter, who's kind of a 3 through 5. Richard Harward seems like he's a 5. And now, and then you got Colby Lee, who, had, who really had a really good year. And now you bring in Matt Harms. And you start thinking about, here's a guy that averaged, you know, seven or eight points a game. He played in the Big Ten. He's a rim protector, uh, you know, and, and, and pretty significant rim protector. But he's been a guy that averages about, eight, you know, eight or seven, eight points a game. And I think he's going to have a real presence. But I just think, like, you can't – it's hard to play. You know, I don't know anything about Wyatt Lowell. <laughs> I've never seen him play. But people say he was a 37% three-point shooter at 6'10". I mean, you, you put – if you just take the two guards and put Lowell and Baxter, Harvard, and Harms, I mean, you've just got some huge size there. I, it'll be interesting to see how, how he plays. I think defensively he's probably a guy that's going to play 20, 24 minutes a game for him and make them better defensively for sure. Uh, and, you know, got, this year's team had a lot of guards. And uh, they had depth in that position. I mean, they had three or four guards, and they run a lot of ball screen action. If Wyatt Lowell truly is a three, and he's going to play significant minutes at that position, and then when you have Baxter, Harvard, and Harms in there, this, this could be a really special team. I remember being at a practice uh, when I had gone back in, and, uh, in the midseason, and I just heard, I just overheard Mark talking to 
one of the assistants and he just said, I don't think people realize how good we could be. He said, I really like the guys. They were just talking about the guys that were sitting out, you know. And, and of course, they signed uh, a, a guy out of Salt Lake. They got this Gideon George, another defender. I mean, I think defensively, they, they could be really, really good with harms in there. Um, it, but that being said, and, and just my experience in being in this business for a long time, I really like playing small. I mean, I, when you look at this year's team, and you put Yoli at the five and surround him with four guards, it's hard to guard. And um, But I, I don't know enough about, you know, they say that Gavin Baxter, when he was in practice, was a really good three-point shooter. I, you know, he knocked a lot of threes. I haven't seen that yet. And until he and Lowell can do that, if they, if they start stretching defenses and then you have that kind of presence inside, I mean, it looks like they're going to be pretty good next year. And I don't think they're done. But certainly it's a good get. Anytime you can beat Kentucky and Texas Tech and anybody on a kid, um, I saw a little clips on him. I don't know a lot about him. Seems like a great kid. And, you know, seven foot three, uh, he's going to bring some value certainly to this team defensively. Well, Steve, we appreciate a few minutes as always. Thanks for the MJ stories. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. All right. You guys take care. Bye-bye. There is Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. DJ and PK, stay with us. Coming up, everything you missed in today's show, we will get to it next. Stay with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. The bottom line is that, you know, we're evaluating that position along with all the other ones, and if we feel like we find the right right situation, we'll certainly draft them. We've drafted them in multiple years and multiple points in the draft. Didn't work out the last three days. That wasn't by design. It could have, but it didn't. Again, there are multiple ways to build your team. We'll see whether or not that comes up at a different point in time. You know, I don't know, but we just tried to do the best we could with what we had in this weekend, and that's what we did, and we'll see where it goes. There's Bill Belichick. Can't really answer the question everybody wants answered. Who's your starting quarterback going to be, and how are you going to win at least 10 games? Because that's what the Patriots have been doing for a couple decades. And yeah, they had Tom Brady, but when Tom Brady had his knee blown out in a game against the Chiefs in the first quarter of the season opener one year, the Patriots went with their backup and still won 11 games. Right now, we look at the roster, and we don't see any 11-win quarterbacks or 10-win quarterbacks on the roster. But maybe that's because we don't know what we're looking at yet, PK. Or And maybe that guy isn't on the roster yet. Or maybe he is and we don't know it. Or maybe the unthinkable is going to happen, and the Patriots are going to win six games. Well, yeah, any number of those scenarios, uh, I, I can't tell you what it's going to be A, B, or C. Uh, I, I do have a level of trust in Belichick, though, because he's obviously he's proven that. He's earned that trust. And, uh, you know, St- Stedman, he played at Auburn, right? I think he was a fourth-round pick. So 
he was actually a higher draft pick than Tom Brady. <laughs> so if you go in that direction, maybe they see something in this kid. Uh, I have no idea if they do or don't. And he's at 23 years old, and we haven't seen him really play that much. So I don't know if they're thinking that he's our guy and we can build around him. And so, yeah, maybe it's not a situation where they're threatening for the Super Bowl run in 2020, but if Stedman gets some opportunity to play, maybe they see something along the lines of well, in a year or two he could be really good or they think that uh, we're still going to do some wheeling and dealing whether it's through free agency or trade or whatnot and I'm not sure what their thinking is but certainly Belichick has earned the benefit of the doubt right now in thinking that we didn't really like those guys who were still out there from and Eason would be the two biggest names I guess coming from big name programs with Georgia and Washington to where we didn't think those guys were better than the guys we drafted so we're going to take a pass on them if Belichick thinks that well all right I can buy that because he's earned that opportunity to have people believe in him it'll be a fascinating story Obviously, and that's it's what I've been saying. I say this for years that sports reinvent themselves all the time with new storylines. You know, in the NBA this year, with Anthony Davis going to the Lakers, Zion Williamson coming into the league. That's just two things off the top of my head. Well, in the NFL next year, Tom Brady in Tampa, obviously, and then what are the Patriots? Those are two storylines that we're going to follow intensely, and I look forward to following them because how's it going to play out? That's why sports are so great, because we don't know how they're going to play out, but we're so interested to see how they do play out. So in 2008, Belichick had to turn to Matt Castle, and they won 11 games. They also groomed Garoppolo, and boy, (laughs) we need, just like we're getting this Jordan documentary, we're going to need a Patriot documentary in 20 years when everyone can tell the truth. Like, how much did Belichick just want to cut Brady loose then and go with Garoppolo? Just kind of the Steve Young, Joe Montana thing. Hey, Joe was great, and he could still do it. He went to Kansas City, and they freaking went to an AFC title game, and Belichick's old enough to look at that and thought, hey, Brady is my Montana, but Garoppolo's my Steve Young, and I can win with Garoppolo for 10 years, but they cut him loose to San Francisco. So he has developed other quarterbacks. It's not like he fell into Brady and hasn't developed other guys. There's there's two guys we can point to during the Brady era. When Brady's playing most of the snaps, he's still developed two pretty good quarterbacks. So give him the benefit of the doubt there. Uh, then, of course, uh, Taysom Hill. $16 million guaranteed, two years, $21 million. Wow. Nice. And he did an interview, and he'll said that uh, there'll be less special teams, and I, I really think there'll be no special teams, um, but there'll be an increased playoff package, kind of what we saw against the in the game when the Saints played the Minnesota Vikings, where he did a lot of different things. You know, he was running, he was throwing, he was catching. How can they work him in and make defenses prepare for him while still cashing in? On however much time Drew Brees has left, Brees signed a two-year deal too, and Taysom Hill signed for two years. So. Some combination of those guys, and possibly Jameis Winston, because he's supposed to be getting close to a one-year deal with the Patriots. It wasn't done last night, but everybody was reporting it, the, the people who cover the NFL full-time, they were reporting it as if it was just a matter of time. Well, you say no special teams for Taysom Hill. 
their kicker's going to get hurt, and Taysom's going to boot a 45-game-winning yard field goal. Probably. Uh, I believe that. He kicked in high school. Yeah. He can do it. <laughs> and you're probably underselling him, PK. He could probably make it longer than 45. You know, it'd be a 45-yarder, a 55 but yarder? it would be good from oh, 60. Oh, look at you See go. what I did there? PK hates that. <laughs> I do hate that. That drives me nuts. But I put 45 because Taysom would have taken over the offense at the 20 and the guy was up against the clock, and he got them with that 45, 35. That would be to the, about the 27-yard line. His ability as a quarterback mm-hmm. got them to the 27-yard line with only 18 seconds left when he took over possession of the ball, <laughs> and then he kicks the game-winning field goal. 18 seconds, three plays, one second still on the clock. Nice. Like the scenario you're drawing up. Exactly, yes. Seven Utes drafted. That's <laughs> 21 Utes drafted in four years. And you got to assume that all the sophomores and juniors that the Utes are talking to have seen those numbers somewhere on social media or have been told them or texted them or somehow. Try an email from the coaching staff. Yeah, the email could do it. Uh, you know, th- there's a million ways to do it, right? Make sure all the high school coaches know so it comes from the high school coaches, not from the U, because then it carries even more weight. High school coaches already know about it. One of the things that, uh, who was that quarterback down in Southern California? Costelli, was that his name? That's committed. Uh-huh. Uh, when we had on Chad Johnson, not the ex-receiver, but the coach of where he, uh, the kid plays at Mission Viejo, the thing that I was impressed most about the coach, of course he's going to pump up his own kid. We understand that. That's obvious. But he knew Chad Johnson, Coach Johnson, knew all about Utah's program. And he was selling it to the kid. You go up there, man, they're going to have a strong running game. They're going to have a strong offense, offensive line, and they're going to have a strong defense. And so you'll have the all the opportunities and ingredients. I think he used, literally used the word ingredients that you need to succeed. So everybody knows about it. That's the thing about Utah now. Stop with the cute little story about this hidden gem. No, that's bullcrap, man. When you're having more than half of your defense being drafted and seven guys getting drafted, it's not a cute uncovered story it's a major college football program that is right there vying for Pac-12 titles almost every year yes but does it seem that way to a really talented high school player in California Texas or Florida and probably more so in California just because you think they'd be watching USC and UCLA and they'd be watching the Pac-12 so they'd know more about Utah than Texas or Florida yes Zach Moss in a draft story because he goes to the Bills and that we'll have to see how it plays out but it's easy to see right now that that could be a really good match between a player and a town and a style of football and Zach Morris was telling somebody in Buffalo uh, Zach Morris. Zach Moss was telling somebody in Buffalo that his recruiting trip to Utah, he, he'd, he'd verbally committed to Miami, and then Miami got blown out, and they're having a bad year, and they fired their coach, and he opened it back up, and Cincinnati was after him, there were some other schools, and Utah. So he takes a trip to Utah. He's never been on this side of the country, right? He's never been in the snow. He comes up in the winter, and he goes snowmobiling. And he said, believe it or not, that was a big thing. 
You know, you're in the cold weather, you're comfortable, you can visualize yourself there. He had fun on the snowmobile trip. And of course, in Buffalo, it's like, sweet, three-foot snowbanks, 13-foot snowbanks, 23-foot snowbanks aren't going to freak this kid out. He can handle it. He liked the snowmobile trip to Utah. You can kind of see how that would, uh, that would play out. So I think they still have to tell their story, but having the Moss story makes it that much easier. And I wonder... The next, you know, the next Moss somewhere in Florida who's a sophomore or a junior, do they know the Moss story now and it's easier for them to see themselves uh, going to Utah? Because the, the best teams recruit nationally. They all do it. Uh, yeah, but I don't think you're going to make your living off of Florida guys. They, they had the Dennis Erickson connection. Dennis mm-hmm. Erickson is gone now. Uh, and I don't know that you can recreate that situation. But I don't know that you need to recreate that situation because they've got enough kids out of Texas, and they're well-known in California. They're well-known in Arizona. And obviously they're well-known here in Utah. So they've got their bases covered for them to have an opportunity to be successful. And, yeah, I think that's what I'm saying about the jazz now. The world has changed. And to say, oh, you go play in Utah. I don't want to play in Utah. I think that's a dead narrative. I just don't think it exists as much anymore. And kids know about everything because the world is at their fingertips. And so kids in Florida and Ohio or wherever there are a number of players, all in the southern area of the southeastern area of the United States, they're aware of Utah. Just the fact, you know, they played in Texas. I know they got their butts kicked in the Alamo Bowl, but they were down there, man. And that brings out the appearance of Utah is a big time football program if you ask anybody who's involved in college football right now utah utes what do you think of i think of hard-nosed football putting guys in the nfl playing for titles and i think of kyle whittingham the man's man everybody knows about it now it's no longer hidden secret that doesn't mean you're just going to be able to cast out a net and scoop up everybody you want i'm not going that far by any stretch but it is not some hidden secret uncovered thing that people don't know about it's the same thing with the jazz players today have a level of sophistication because the world is so much easier easily accessed than it used to be and they're world anyway maybe not the world but the world in which they live in and the things that are important to them they are aware of and so i don't know that they're going to make a living out of florida but i know they're going to get successful players in there because they've already told us that this last recruiting class was the best one that they've had all right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, in Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. And that's Feedback of the day is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. All right, people have a lot to say about today, a lot about the Utes getting drafted. Uh, This is probably a whole show waiting to happen at some point. Uh, Vegas Ute um, is the... (laughs) 
<laughs> Vegas Ute has like a, 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 a seven-part war and peace thing on how BYU fan uh, constantly digs another trench and falls back fighting the onslaught of the Utes and traces everything the Cougars have thrown up against the Utes since McBride started winning. As a gray-haired Ute fan, he's got a lot to weigh in on, PK. And you can imagine basically all the stuff the uh, – the different trenches they've dug from, yeah, you won a game, but we'll get back to normal, to, uh, you know, urban left, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's urban leaves that you will collapse. Um, the second BCS trip, well, you didn't get a crystal ball. Harling is still open. Magic happens. I mean, he just basically everyone. And he's, the latest is Utah wins the South back-to-back, comes one game in the CFP. You haven't won the Pac-12 title. You can't dot, dot, dot. I guess it really goes to how the arrow has really pointed up for the Utes now for 30 years through three head coaches. It's been a string of well, successes. Well, I think we're really – obviously they've had a string of successes. I think where it really goes is that even though they've separated, they're still, it's still a big-time rivalry. Multiple BYU fans in this thread responding about zero conference championships for Utah. Well, if there's one thing BYU's shown in the last decade, it's conference championships mean nothing to them. So it's really weird flex from a fan base saying that a conference race uh, isn't worth joining a conference. Uh, I need to repeat my last comment. (laughs) There's a point you'd like to make here? What is it? I'm not clear. Spell it out for me, PK. Yeah, it's a great robbery. They got, they got a great robbery going on, and uh, trash talk back and forth. That's what makes a great robbery. Neither side is giving it an inch, even though BYU didn't have the near the cachet, but still, you know, they're pointing this out. This is this robbery is has managed to grow even more intense, which just makes it even more incredible. The Buffalo Bills went back through Zach Moss's uh, social media. All, um, all social media is out there for your future bosses to figure out who you are. And he tweeted out one thing in 2015 and one, thousand, one thing in 2016. And the Bills uh, put together a little thing on social media and tweeted it out on their official team account. I've retweeted it. They dug up a 2015 tweet when Zach Moss tweeted out, I want to play in the snow so bad. And then there's something in 2016 about wanting <laughs> wings. Well, you know, in Buffalo, if there's two things you can say that will endear you to the people, and uh, as Vegas Ute tweets, because he's been tweeting at us a lot this morning, the best thing about these is he didn't tweet them out after the draft and make himself look good. He was tweeting this stuff out no. years ago. 2015, he wasn't, he wasn't playing football at Utah yet. He was thinking about it, but he, he, wasn't, he wasn't doing it yet. Well, that's the tweet that says I want to play in the snow right. because he was leaving Florida to come to Utah. I, that's why I always delete my tweets because when I go for my, – I mean, my career is just barely starting out here. I've got another 30 years to work, and <laughs> I don't want anything to come back and haunt me. So that's why I always, after a couple of weeks, I delete all my tweets, and I've consistently done that for a number of years. So if I, if I tweet something stupid and, say, and then delete it, they can't say, oh, well, he deletes his tweet. He deleted that. I delete everything the way it is and the thing about Zach Moss is he's so solid 
and I've been around him. We've been around him for a number of years, and that's what I tweeted. It was classic, understated Zach Moss response. He lightly, I assume that was his mother on the couch next to him, he lightly hugged her. It wasn't this big emotional thing. The, the, the guy's always in control. He's always got his emotions in check. And f- for Buffalo, you guys should be, they don't know this yet, maybe the fans, because they don't know the kid. We have, Not that I know him, I'm not his friend by any stretch, but I know of him and I've been around him and I've talked to people who know him very well. And they're going to get the best of what this kid has to offer because this kid is serious about succeeding. He's always been serious about succeeding. And when it showed when he was drafted, the, the family didn't go crazy they just kind of say yeah okay great next step let's get it started i'm going to buffalo now solve that mystery now i'm going to go buffalo and that's exactly what he's going to go do all right dj and pk it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone we got a couple more tweets uh rolling in here what does it say about kyle winningham and how does he keep doing this with 21 guys drafted in the last four years coach speed 66 goes to the obvious I think he's good at identifying talent. He recruits guys with the ability to be NFL players. Guess we can't argue with that. Bingo. And then fire Kyle Whittingham tweets back, which is why he should be fired for not winning anything. (laughs) 11 wins isn't anything. Oh my gosh! There's a story. There's a story floating around about UCLA basketball, and you know. Ben Hallen's got a complicated legacy, and we don't have time to go into it, but he got fired the year he won the Pac-12 championship, and there are people close to the program inside the program and said, well, you just sent a message to every college basketball coach in the country that you can win a conference title at UCLA and still get fired, and that's going to scare off a lot of people. And can you imagine if the Utes, and they're not going to, but can you imagine if they did fire a coach who won 11 games? Would that send a message to every college football coach in America? You can win 11 games and get fired at the U? Never mind, I need to go somewhere else. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't happen. Right. I've talked to Mark Harlan about Kyle a few times, and the guy just loves the, the, just the way he brings it every single day. So, yeah, obviously he's securing his position. And be careful what you wish for, man, because it is not easy to win 11 games in a college football season. No, I'm sure there were times if you were a youth basketball fan in the 90s and early 2000s that you thought uh, 25 wins in the second or third round of the NCAA tournament was a birthright, and the last 15 years have proven that that's not true. So 30 years of the football program you know, with the arrow going up, and even for longtime fans, you know, they're used to that. But there's probably some youth fan who's 75 years old out there who can tell you, well, there were 20 years that sucked before the 30 fabulous years, so careful what you wish for. The four letters on the front of the jersey don't guarantee anything. Yep. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. Stay with us.